Welcome back, everybody, to episode four of Because We Had To. We've been looking forward to this episode, Kevin and I, because we're having one of North Carolina's most famous folks. He's in line for Order of the Longleaf Pine here pretty soon. Uh, (laughs) Entrepreneur, um, bodybuilder, coach, mentor, um, and friend extraordinaire, Travis Mash, joining us. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Yeah, man. So happy to have you, Travis. Um, Our podcast is devoted to what we think is the best of uh, the American spirit. And that means creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, the kind of people that our sponsor, Solero Commerce, uh, exists to build up and help folks like that become successful sustainably, quickly, efficiently, and permanently. Right, Kevin? That's right, bud. And we think you exemplify all those things, man. And so we're just honored that you'd come and hang out with us for the next 30 hours on our podcast telethon here. (laughs) 30 hours? If we're on here 30 hours, I'm definitely going to get some bourbon. Okay. And then this show is going to get really righteous. (laughs) So we've been going now for a minute and 45 seconds, so we've got our first bourbon reference. Um, We had the idea to have you on a podcast when we first started uh, mapping this thing out late last year. You were at the top of our guest list, and it became apparent how to fit you in thematically you know we were looking at some of the things we've written about together and last november we published a a piece where kevin was encouraging other leaders and entrepreneurs business owners to get out of their comfort zones uh be bold take risk and not be afraid to make mistakes and and i said to him who do you know that's made the most mistakes no, I'm kidding. I didn't it's say true. that. It is so true, man. Yeah, I only <laughs> learned by getting kicked right in the face is how I learned. Like, so It works for me. Well, well I asked him. I said, would, would Travis be a good um, person for this? And I think his first word was hell, and the second word was yeah. And in, this, in this piece that we wrote together, um, there's a neat little story in there that I'm sure was a fun day for the two of you, but it obviously impacted him for the rest of his life. And it was a story about how the two of you went skiing with a bunch of guys uh, in your homeland, God's country of the high country of North Carolina. And I thought it'd be cool to hear that story come out of your mouths. Um, So tell us, I don't know who wants to start, but tell me what that day was all about on the ski slopes. It's funny how like there's little moments in your life when you reflect back and be such poignant uh, examples of things that matter so much. And I mean, something like that day, I mean, look, it's not, it's, it's something that just occurs. Six or seven of us go skiing. Um, none of us have been before. Uh, we were, I think we were wearing jeans. I mean, we literally were just, just 
we're farmers from, you know, the mountains of North Carolina, Christmas tree farmers. And we go up there and we start hitting the slopes. And you know, the first night you come back to the, to uh, hang out and everybody's like, how many times did you fall? And, uh, you know, we start talking about it and everybody's like, man, I feel like 20 times a day. Like, wow, that's crazy. And then the next day, you know, we go out again and we come back the next day and people are like, Hey man, I didn't even fall today. And Travis and I are like, wow, we fell like 20 times again today. And then the next day comes and some people are like, I fell a couple of times. Some people didn't fall again. And Travis and I fell 20 times again. Um, and you know, just remember it's, it's a good reminder because like all they were focusing on is not falling. But what we realized, like when we finished our ski trip was, you know, we had a lot more bruises than the other guys. I'll admit that. But uh, we were also skiing the black diamonds and they were still skiing the greens. And frankly, they probably still are. So it's just about like, hey, you got to take your take your licks if you want to improve quickly. You know, and um, I, I've just always used that analogy with my team because it's just such a poignant like example of if you just don't want to fall down, expect to ski the greens for the rest of your life. And if you want to ski the blacks, you're going to have to fall down. Yeah. It's guys like, that are not afraid to, to ski the diamond or, or it's guys like, you know, KJ and I who are not afraid to jump off a dam and he knows exactly what I mean. You know, it's, it's guys like us who put it on the line and someone who's not willing to go through life with mediocrity in mind that is going to take those risks. And so it's an extraordinary person. I'm not saying I'm extraordinary. I'm just saying I grew up with him and he pretty much made me this way. And so it's it's a it's an interesting life. It's a, it's a life filled with adventure. It could be broke. I have been once, you know. And those diamonds is a perfect example of my life as an entrepreneur. People come to entrepreneurship from a lot of different paths. Um, our friend Kevin here took a decently long corporate road, built up a lot of expertise, and then said, hey, I'm going to push my own boat out there. And I got into entrepreneurship by accident. I had to get fired into it. You know? <laughs> that happens um, a lot, yeah. It is. I mean, there's a term for it. It's called accidental entrepreneurship. And I, I am a case study in that. Like I had to straight up fail at something else over and over again to the point where I launched what I'm doing today. But you've taken a different path, and I wanted to devote a little time to understanding your path, Travis, because I don't think you had the corporate road, hey, I love all these people I'm working with and working for, but I think I can do this like Kevin, or holy crap, I've got to run a business like Brian. What's, what's your road been like, man, going from a champion at what you do to now making champions? I know in, in 1996 when I moved to Colorado Springs, and uh, I moved out there to be a weightlifter. And you know my mom was like, come on. She's like, I'll see you in a couple of months. And so I literally moved in 1996 to Colorado Springs from West Jefferson, North Carolina, with $200. Now, looking back, if that were my son, I would have said the same thing to him that my mom said to me. I'll see you in a couple of months because, you know, how's that going to work out? But I go there. I, I know uh, the coach where he, you know, I couldn't obviously just walk into the Olympic training center and say, take me. So I had to, like, work my way up. So I go to this world gym in, in Colorado Springs where Wes Barnett, who's a two-time Olympian, he's coaching. And I go straight there, Brian. I mean, I drove 
23 hours straight to Colorado Springs. Didn't go to my place I'm going to stay. I went straight to the gym because I needed to know this was going to happen. So I, I go in and I, you know, I said, hey, is Wes Barnett here? And they're like, yeah, he's in the back coaching. So luckily he was there. I go in the back. I said, look, man, I just drove 23 hours. Uh, I need you to coach me. And he's like, he's like, calm down. I'll coach you. But then here's where fate stepped in. and like, But only if you take risks are you ever going to have something like this happen. So you do have to put them put it out there to, for this to happen. Just so happened that the owner of the gym was there too, being coached. He was an old master lifter who just liked to tinker with weightlifting. He's like, where are you going to work, man? I was like, I have no idea. He said, do you need a job? I'm like, yes. So he gives me a job. And then on my way to my car, a trainer there, Ryan Mitchell, which KJ's met, he's like, where are you going to stay? I was like, I don't know yet. And so he gives me a place to live. And so within, you know, a few hours, I have everything set up. And, but then and. You know, it's definitely not the typical, you know, get out of college, you know, and and get a job. It was like I was going to – I knew I loved to work out. I knew I, I was stronger than most people, and I, I loved it. And I was going to make my own path. I just – I've never been a guy who just kind of like did what I was supposed to do. Matter of fact, as KJ knows, I've always been the guy who did what I was not supposed to do probably. And so I go out there, and within a year, I'm at the Limit Training Center. I get invited, which is a really fast track. My dad got sick in, in, in North Carolina, and so after a little bit, I moved back home and um, started powerlifting because there wasn't weightlifting in, in North Carolina. And then, But then I did, ended up being much better at that. And so within a year or two, I, was a, you know, I became a professional powerlifter. And then in 2004, it was my – sorry. In 2002, I, broke the, I won my first world championships – but in 2004, I broke my first world record. In 2005, I broke another world record. And at that point, I was considered pound for pound the strongest guy in the world. And so um, I just – and from there, I met all these cool people while I was doing it. And I knew I really started enjoying helping other people and really athletes, not just powerlifters. And I like working with weightlifters and powerlifters, but I was starting to apply all the things I was learning to athletes like Tommy Bohannon. He was a seven-year veteran in the NFL who uh, played for the Jaguars and uh, – almost made all pro and so i started working with athletes like that with all these things i was learning and so really by simply following what i love to do and like if you can do that if you have this passion you know i really think everyone should at least try what's the worst thing that could happen to me i could have gone to colorado springs failed miserably came home got a job just like everyone else but like but because I risked it, I've, I've met, met some of the most extraordinary people. Louis Simmons, who's you know world-renowned, you know, powerlifting um, coach. I met um, Charles Pullican, who's the most world-renowned. He was. He just passed away. Strength and conditioning coach. And now, you know, I'm I'm considered one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world simply because I was willing to take the risks. Which now I'm taking another one, going back to school to get my PhD, just to add that last little cherry on top. You know, just to jump in briefly, Brian, and to kind of stay on uh, our topic here, man, two things just strike me as Travis is talking right now. Number one is you don't become the world's strongest man pound for pound without pushing a little more every day. And you definitely have to take risks to accomplish something like that. But the other beautiful part is like this book I love called The Alchemist. You may have read it. You know, and I'll, I'll paraphrase this because I can't remember the exact line, but it's always stuck with me is you know, if you pursue your passion or your dream, from a place of humility, uh, but you pursue it with all your heart, the world does conspire to help you. And I actually really do believe that because I've seen it from so many people where someone has this great passion and they just pursue it from a place of humility, 
but they're working so hard and they want to grow. They want to put the work in. And, um, I mean, Travis goes up there and in one day gets the trainer he's always wanted, gets a job and gets a place to live, something that would take the rest of us 90 days to accomplish. Um, I think that's, that's really cool. And, you know, interestingly, like starting Solero, I had a similar, like if you talk to my wife, she would say all these things like that fell into place for us, you know, to move to Nashville and start this company. And it's, it's almost like it does, it is a logical things sometimes, but I think that's interesting. Uh, it's just an interesting perspective on people like that, that pursue things like that. Agreed. You know, it's, it's unfortunate because like in my industry, like what has helped me like um, get ahead of a lot of people is my willingness to and for people seeing my humility. And when I ask them questions like, uh, for example, uh, I worked with uh, Muscle Driver USA for a while, which was like a is a professional weightlifting team. And we were there's three coaches there, which is could be not very good in most cases because you have three egos. But those two coaches were older than me. So what I did is, you know, asked I spent every single day with one or the other sucking their brain dry, you know, like learning from them, you know, not like trying to like say, look at me, I'm the best coach in the room until I knew what both of these coaches knew. And then both the coaches ended up working for me. And so like, because I was at the first humble where they weren't, you know, they were not willing, never once did they either one ask me a question or, or each other. And so, but I mean, that's been my whole life is like, I want to know every single thing. It's more important to me that the world sees me as someone starving for information than it is for the world to see me as the one who knows everything because there is no such person. That's a, you know, that is false in nature. No one does. And so like, I will always be looking for the person who might know something I don't know, which is, you know, you know, I feel like I've met the people I wanted to meet, which brings me to the PhD, which is, it's kind of the last thing I need to do to, you know, but I'm sure I'll keep looking for information, but it just seems like the natural next step to take. And uh, our goal at Masterly is to like be the number one provider for strength conditioning in the entire world. I want when people think of anything athletic, I want them to think of us. And so um, the one thing that'll separate me from everyone else, because I've been the athlete and I've been the coach. Now I will be the PhD, kind of put three things together. So just trying to always, like KJ, always trying to build my brand and trying to add to it and, you know, get to be the, the number one provider, I guess. The presenting sponsor of Because We Had To is Solero Commerce. Now more than ever, small businesses are turning to Solero for integrated payments and business management tools to help their businesses survive the COVID-19 pandemic and prepare for a brighter future. Visit solerocommerce.com to learn more. Tell us about your approaches to uh, setting high goals for yourself because I know to reach your level of supremacy uh, in the weightlifting world, Travis, that's all about goals, right? Uh, and Kevin, of course, you know, the business world is relentless. Everything's changing all the time. And if you're not setting new and higher goals, you don't need to be in the catbird seat. So, Travis, take that one first. What, what, tell us about your approach to goal setting. 
Well, the, the key is, is being able to, you know, have a mindset where you don't set limits. You know, everybody has their own like paradigm. And like, if you ever think about a paradigm, which is, you know, everybody's view of reality, it's, it's nothing but a bunch of lies. It's like whatever, you know, where I grew up and KJ knows better than anyone. And like, you know, I grew up in a family where that set lots of limits or I grew up in a family that maybe the stepdad didn't set limits on my step siblings but set limits on my on me you know or my mom definitely and she didn't mean to she just wanted i look back at my mom she was like she always wanted me to take the safe road don't do this do the you know be safe because she worried about me and she wanted me to see me healthy and have money and stuff like that but she set limits and so in my brain i'm starting to, to set limits unknowingly you know i remember thinking when i went to play football at appalachian i'm like i was sad just happy to be there, you know, man. And that was my limit. And that was my view. That was my paradigm. There was nothing but a bunch of lies. And like, you know, and then I went, um, playing football there. I got to see people who did not set limits. So I'm starting to see it. And then I go to the training center and then I'm around nothing but the best athletes in the world. Every single day of my life, I'm around the best gymnasts, the best sprinters, the best everybody. And now I'm starting to, to like every limit I, thought I had, it starts coming down. And so my old paradigm starts to shift. And so, and then by the time that era was over, I was a whole new human. Like I was like, I refuse, I will never set limits on myself again. And what I really found is like people that are from where KJ and I are from the mountains are probably the toughest people I've ever met. And I've been last year, I was in 12 countries in 12 months. And like, I still would say the people from the mountains are the toughest people, but yet they set the most limits. They don't know it. They, they have no idea how tough they are. They think off the mountain that people become superhuman and they don't, we're superhuman. They're not. And so, and when I stop setting those limits, I could start saying, okay, I want to be the best at X. So I remember, see, this was like in around 2001, I said I wanted to be the best powerlifter of all time, which I was nowhere close. I remember the guy walking, there was a guy, my friend who's dead now, he was walking with me and I said that, and he's like, come on, man, be realistic. That, that when he said that, be realistic, all he did was guarantee that that record was for sure getting broken. Because in my heart, my heart set on fire at that moment. And I didn't even get mad at him. Like, you know, I just like, oh, you're probably right. Inside, I'm like, I wanted to leave the walk and start training right then, which then fast forward three years, you know, I broke the world record. I broke it twice, you know, and the guy came to me the night before I was about to break. He came, he comes to my room and uh, he'd heard about my training. And I was, I was breaking the record. It was the only question was how bad was I going to break it? And he comes into my room. He says, you're about to break this record, aren't you? I was like, yeah, I told you several years ago I was about to break it. And he said, um, I owe you an apology. I'm like, no, you don't. Not really at all. I said, I should thank you for putting this burning desire in me to crush this record. I said, but I hope you'll be there to watch in the front row tomorrow. So and then and I crushed it. And so now and from that moment on, when I, you know, like that was the first really big goal that I set and accomplished. And then it was the beginning of a lot of stuff in my life. It was like, and from then on, like I don't set limits. And then now that same, you know, the same mentality gets you know, passed on to my athletes. So when they come to me, Probably a conversation I'll have. Somebody will come to me and say, "Hey, I wanna, I want to make the Olympics." Is is a common thing, and I'll be like, "Why just make it? You know, why not win? Why not medal? Why just, you know, like?" And so it immediately starts shifting that paradigm up a notch and up a notch. And it's the same thing I do in my life that I do with my athletes. And then now, since like, is it 2015? Since 2015, we've had 27 as of this year, 27 Team USA athletes on this, my little team in Louisville, North Carolina. Like, who, God knows, if you put me in Los Angeles, I would, I would 
rule the universe, I'm pretty confident. But <clears throat> and so it's just is is goals. What limits people is simply, long story short, is their paradigm is limited by and, and they allow that to happen. It's not your mom and dad's fault. It's your fault because you let them. You know whatever your paradigm is. Even though it was helped to be shaped by people like your parents or friends, it's still your fault for allowing that limit. And the minute you say that, it's like, it's not my mom's fault. It's my fault. This limit is ridiculous. It's lies. The minute you can do that, then whatever you want to accomplish in the universe is is like, uh, there's no limits anymore. And it's just a matter of how much work you're willing to put in. Like there's, you know, for now on, like for me, like whatever I want to do, I will do, you know, or I'll die trying, but I'll never be limited by something in my brain saying I can't. We both, you know, we believe in setting goals that are super uncomfortable or we believe in not setting goals. And what I mean by that is like when I approach my team, of course I have to set a budget with my board and things like that. But you know, my, my consistent message to my team is like reach your potential. Like I don't, you know, sometimes if you set a goal, you get 80% of that goal and it might be the best performance you've ever put on. Like the COVID period is a perfect example. My sales team, I mean, they're off like 5%. And that might have been the very best they've ever done in their lives. And they've probably beaten goals by 150% before. So the potential, was that was the potential that time, right? That 150%, maybe the potential was 175. So it's like, you know, just what is your potential? The other thing is, you know, once you set a goal for yourself is don't expect anyone else to believe in you. <laughs> um and I can tell you that from personal experience. Travis can tell you too. I mean, even when I said I was going to go to college, my buddies would go to Travis and be like, dude, Jones is never graduating from college. Um, you know, and I told my grandfather, my grandfather said, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, I want to be a senator. And he was like, oh, you're setting your goals way too high. Everybody was just always telling me what I couldn't do. And I should just stay on the farm or whatever. The only people that really believe in me, you know, at that time were my mom and Travis. That is it. Um, and then, you know, since then my wife completely believes in me almost to the point that like, it scares me sometimes. Well, I'll be like, I don't know if I can do that or not. She's like, you can do that easily. Come on. Um, so don't expect people to believe in you, man. And, uh, some people that don't are just trying to protect you. But man, one thing I believe with all my heart and soul is, and we all know this 90% of the world is mediocre, right? Mediocrity is comfortable and people are very uncomfortable. If you push outside of that zone, I don't know. People try to drag you back down, right? We see it all the time. Uh, so mediocrity loves company. You just can't listen to that stuff. So, so let's get back to the concept of falling down in order to progress, just like you did on those ski slopes in days of yore. So can you give us some examples of things where you probably thought you had a great idea and maybe you did, but couldn't execute on it that first time, or just things that in your professional careers have happened where you can look back and say, well, that happened for a reason. Yeah, I mean, I went broke. Um, I don't think kids has ever been broke, but like in, uh, two, let's see, hold on, in, let me get my facts straight. In about 2006, right after my father died, um, I started my first online business, and uh, it was you know, it was early in the business too. Like, I mean, I had, I had YouTube, there wasn't anything else. There was YouTube. And then there was like a little forum and it was going really well, but, but my dad had died. And so it kind of sent me for a little bit of a tailspin. And I had this girl that I was dating and we broke up and like that threw me for such a tailspin. And like, 
you know, I just, I didn't execute for once in my life. I look back, I regret that so bad because like I was ahead of the game. I would have been the first to the, to the arena, but, um, you know, I just, I could not, or I didn't allow myself to execute. And so I failed and, um, I met my wife during that time though. So she met me and I was in the best athletic shape of my life. Cause I was actually, you know, doing bobsled. I was doing powerlifting still. I was lean is bait and switch. Cause a few years later I was not anymore, but so we met and, uh, you know, I moved, what happened? I went broke, like literally went broke, um, lost the house and like the business didn't go well. Cause I, you know, I was being, you know, feeling sorry for myself. So I took this job with D one performance, which is like, you guys might know that started in Tennessee, matter of fact. And I was the national director for D one performance in Chicago for a while. But, but when I went there, I met my wife already. So we kept talking on the phone and, uh, and then she got, we got to the point where she's like, look, you got to come back or else, you know, it's not gonna work out. So I, I took a leap of faith. So here I am, a broke dude who got a really good job, who's who's now becoming unbroke. And then I took another leap of faith. Here's another example of that going down the diamond, black diamonds. So I go home and um, get like a personal training job. And out of that little personal training job, I built pretty much everything I have today because here's the thing. And here's a, you know, I've always known this, but I was afraid to say it because it sounds kind of soft. But my wife was so like motivational to me that like I would not fail because I was like I know if I fail I'm going to lose this girl because you know her family like her grandmother went to Juilliard her grandfather went to Yale like and here I am my family nobody went to school you know like I don't even know if they graduated high school let alone you know Yale and so so I'm like I cannot fail or this girl is going to leave me and like and she believed that I wouldn't fail like KJ you know like you know Carol believes in him and like that just having that one human that I love so much is such a driving force. And like, I've always known that, but reading that same book by Napoleon Hill, Andrew Carnegie says one of the biggest motivational factors in a man's life would be, or a female's life would be the significant other. And they could either make the person massive or they can, you know, we all know the other side, they can also crumble you, which in this story I just told, I had one that crushed me. That I let crush me. Let me say that too. And I have one who built me to, to what I am today and continues to motivate me. And like KJ definitely scares me at times because she feels like, I think she thinks I could like, you know, jump over the house if I wanted to and like, don't tell her I can't. Well, I think, I think what you're speaking to, you know, a lot of people get the whole question of purpose wrong. You know, they, they think of, they, they tend to conflate the notion of purpose with the mission of their business. You know, you could have a mission of I'm going to be the world's number one strength and conditioning trainer, or I'm going to build the best in that field. But your purpose is why you get up every day. You know, my son, my son, S-U-N, rises and sets based on my wife and son, period. And then all the other people I get to share this life with. That's purpose. And so what you're talking about there is you had a critical time in your life where you had lost everything and you had just climbed back on that perch of safety. And then you had to risk it all. You risked it all for your purpose. So I want want to hear what you guys have to say about not only being able to 
set those goals for yourself without limits, um, being willing to fall down along the way, knowing that those falls are going to help you progress. But let's talk about the importance of surrounding yourselves. Like, Kevin, why don't you take this one? The importance of Solero being a place where people can risk, take risk. Yeah, the cool thing for, with that is, I mean, putting those types of people around you, I mean, definitely inspire you, helps you keep them from a couple of mistakes or shortens it a little bit. The thing you have to guard against, you have to guard against people that have been doing something for a long time, believing it's the way it's done. You know, some of the most successful people I've ever had reporting to me, um, Brian, you know, Sarah, uh, from from my last company is a great example of this is she was not experienced enough in business to know she couldn't do something um, and we ran across some significant obstacles that anyone who had ever been in fintech for more than 10 years would have told me there's absolutely no way we could do it yet she did it because she didn't know she couldn't and so that's the other side of it's ensuring that you maintain your confidence as the, as the operator or entrepreneur that just because it's been done a certain way or that's the way they like to see it or whatever, that you keep dreaming your dream, you know, because that's the actual value you're bringing to the table. And you'll find that there's people around you still respect that. All right. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on, Travis. And uh, I think we've explored a lot of cool stuff today. We will look forward to our next interaction with you. Thank you, guys. Trav, good to yeah. see you. Love you, bro. Love you too, man. All right. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening to Because We Had To, sponsored by Solero Commerce on the Park Life Podcast Network. We'll be back soon for another episode. If you want to learn more about our guest, Travis Mash, you can visit his website at www.mashelite.com.